We've spent the last two weeks looking at leadership from the downside of it. Those who were in positions of leadership and through sin, rebellion, disobedience, they fall. Today we're going to look at a leader who takes a nation and moves them into God's promised land. And we're going to look at his life and we're going to learn some things about leadership from his life. But really, you know, the first thing I want to cover is all of this presupposes something. And I don't want to just make that assumption. Because what we're going to talk about today really presupposes and builds on the belief that you're already following the leader, Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never made that first decision, then all these principles about leadership are really not going to benefit you a whole lot until you make this first decision, until you recognize that just like every one of us in this room, we're all sinners. Okay? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing we could do to ever redeem ourselves. But thankfully, there is a great, loving, and marvelous God who desires to have a relationship with us so much that he gave his son to be a sacrifice for our sins. And if you will just believe in him, that son Jesus, through Jesus you can have reconciliation with your father. That's the presupposition. If you haven't addressed that issue today, all of this other stuff really isn't going to make an impact in your life. Leadership. What is leadership? Leadership really is this. It's about influence. It's about having and exerting influence in the lives of the people around us. When you think about this story and the nation of Israel, you look at Moses, what a great leader he was. He leads them all the way up to the promised land. One question comes to mind, or it should, as you wonder the next chapter, as we turn from Deuteronomy over to Joshua chapter 1, why Joshua? Of all the people there in this nation of Israel, why Joshua? How does Joshua end up being this person? Well, there's a couple of passages of Scripture I want us to look at to start gaining some insights here. The first one is found in Numbers chapter 11. We have that, guys? There we go. Meanwhile, two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed in the camp. They were listed as leaders, but they didn't leave the camp to go to the tent. We're talking about the tent of meeting here where God came and visited with Moses. Still the Spirit also rested on them when they prophesied in the camp. The young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Now, that's not really, I just want to give you the context. Look what we learn. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' right-hand man since his youth, said, Moses, Master, stop them. That's one of those verses that we read when we're reading through our, our yearly Bible reading. We just kind of skim right through that. We miss what it says there. But Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' right-hand man since his youth. Let's look at Exodus 24. Again, it's a familiar passage of Scripture. What's, what's getting ready to happen here is Moses is getting ready to go up on the mountain and receive the Ten Commandments. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. Do you see this? Who leaves from the nation of Israel to start going up the mountain? Moses and his assistant Joshua. Now, the next couple of verses, what we learn is that Joshua basically stays at the midpoint on the mountain, 
and Moses goes all the way up to the top of the mountain and meets with God in the clouds. Okay? Exodus 32. For 40 days, Moses meets with God. Forty days. Then Moses turned and went down from the mount with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, in the front and the back. Seventeen. They're coming down. And remember, God's already told Moses while they're meeting together, hey, you need to get back down there because your people are worshiping a golden calf. And I'm, I'm, I'm this close to just wiping them out. I'm fed up with it. Okay, so Moses understands what's happening down there. But he comes back down. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Moses goes on to tell him, no, it's not, it's not war. It's not, it's not a celebration. It's idolatry. But here's what I want you to understand. Where was Joshua for 40 days waiting halfway up the mountain for his master Moses to come back? Forty days. I, I don't do well waiting for four minutes while Michelle's in the dressing room. And we learned that early on in our marriage. And so I, I, I quit going shopping with her. All right. Forty days. He sits there by himself. The nation is down there in the valley. Moses is with God. And Joshua waits for 40 days on his master. We learn our first principle of leadership and becoming leaders at the beginning stage of developing as leaders. We learn right here. And that's this, okay? Leaders are not made, or excuse me, leaders are made, they're not born, okay? Leaders learn from other leaders. Why Joshua? Because Joshua had been Moses' assistant from his youth. Why Joshua? Because Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. He was right there with him at the formative steps. He's halfway up the mountain when Moses goes to get the Ten Commandments. He's the first person other than Moses to see the Ten Commandments. Why Joshua? Because he's put himself in a position to learn from Moses as a leader. That's why. You know, in this day and age, there is a plethora of leadership resources available to you and I. We can go in and pick out books anywhere. There are great speakers and teachers. You know, when I, when I was growing up, you small town... South Arkansas, you had whoever your pastor was. And if there was a great communicator and somebody that you could connect with, that's great. If it wasn't so great, well, sorry. That's what you had. And I remember, you know, late 70s, the big thing, cassette tape ministry. Guys would come in and they would speak, and you could actually start sending people money, little churches here and there, and they would send you cassettes. So you found somebody that could really speak into your life, you could follow them. Today... You can go home tonight and you can watch sermon after sermon after sermon from some of the world's greatest leaders. Okay? If you want to be a leader, you must learn from other leaders. You must let them mentor you and speak to you. Okay? Now, it needs to happen on a one-to-one -one basis, face-to-face, -face, ideally. But you can learn from books, videos. There are ways to pick these things up. Matter of fact, Mark Batterson said this. Mark Batterson's pastor at a great church in the Washington, D.C. area. And I heard him speak a couple of years ago. And you know, I'm sure he was repeating what somebody else said. What he said was this. Leaders are readers, and readers are leaders. If you want to be a leader, then be a reader. From the very beginning, all right, Joshua was in a position to learn from Moses, to walk with him side by side, 
and to learn how to lead the nation of Israel because he's walking with Moses as Moses leads the nation of Israel. What's the next thing that's required, though? Let's look at another passage of Scripture here. Let's go ahead and put this up, guys. Exodus 17, I believe. Now I may be jumping around on you. Actually, this will work, too. Exodus 17. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Then verse 13. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. What do we see here? You're familiar with the story. Probably a lot of you are. This is a story where Moses actually has to have Aaron and her help him hold his arms up so the nation of Israel will prevail in the battle. But who's down there fighting the battle? Joshua. Joshua is the man in charge of the army. It's our second principle. Okay? Leadership opportunities are a byproduct of faithfulness. They're a byproduct of faithfulness. You don't all of a sudden just get promoted to a position of leadership. You can't be a mediocre store manager at Walmart and expect to be the CEO someday. It doesn't work like that. We don't get promoted above our, our abilities. Byproduct of faithfulness. Jesus said it like this, Luke chapter 16. Okay? We're going to look at the message here. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? We all like the idea of being leaders, don't we? I mean, we, we, we like the ring of that. We like the sound of that. I want to be in charge of the store someday. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Well, are you going to be faithful and diligent in the small jobs? You know, one time... Uh, one of my summer jobs when I was in college, I was working for this defense contractor out in East Camden, Arkansas, where they had a lot of defense contractors out there. My dad was working there, and basically, certain you know number of employees, your children can get summer jobs there if you're going to college. And so there was a crew of about 10 or 12 of those guys, and you know I was supposed to be learning a specific skill set. And I get there the first day of the job, and uh, this guy that loved to uh, educate college boys where we were in the grand pecking order of things, brought me a broom and put me in this dusty warehouse, said, here, just, just sweep. This is just filthy. This is dirty. Just sweep it out. So I start sweeping at 830 that morning because you have to get photographed and get the uniform and the badge and all that kind of stuff first. And I start sweeping. And I sweep for the first break. And I catch him at the first break and said, uh, you know, I, I thought I was supposed to come here and do this. And I kind of lay out what I thought I was going to come and do that summer. And he said, well, okay, okay. Have, have you finished sweeping the warehouse yet? Well, no, 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 I hadn't finished that yet. Well, okay, go back. Swept the warehouse for an entire day and a half before it really dawned on me. It was just about finishing this first task. You want to finish this first task and do it well, and then we'll talk about seeing if you can do something beyond sweeping. But until you can, until you can sweep a warehouse and get it the way I want it, why would I start teaching you something else. Many times you and I are like that. We want to rush forward. We want to be the leader 
but we don't want to pay the dues on the front end. Larry Bird, a great basketball player. You know what he used to do every morning as a kid? Get up every morning, walk to his gym, shoot 500 free throws for school every morning. You think he just happened to get to the NBA Finals and shoot game-winning free throws? No. It starts with a lifetime of discipline, a lifetime of being faithful in the small things. And as we prove ourselves faithful in the small things, our area of influence expands and it grows. Let's look at this next slide here. Actually, I skipped Jim Collins too, didn't I, guys? I'm throwing you all kinds of report. Let's go to this. I want to back up to this and then 2 Timothy 2 too. Jim Collins. Look what he says here. Okay, great, great business guru. He said this at Catalyst Conference a couple of years ago. Choosing your mentor is the second most important choice you will make after choosing your mate. Learn from other leaders. Find a mentor. Find somebody you respect, someone you value, and go to them and let them pour into you. Somebody who walks with God. Let them walk with you as you learn to walk with God. You have to have a mentor, a leader, if you yourself want to become a mentor and leader. It's, it's the principle taught in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Okay? 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Paul says this to Timothy. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now you, Timothy, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. That is the Christian walk. It's how it's supposed to be lived. It's how we're supposed to carry out the Great Commission. Okay? The Great Commission isn't, isn't carried out in this context, okay, on a Sunday morning where we have worship time and someone teaches the Word of God to us. Okay? The, Sunday, the Great Commission is carried out Monday through Saturday when you and I live out this principle right here. Okay? Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others. Four generations of Christ followers, passing it down one to one, one to one. That's how we do this. That's how we live this way. Being faithful in our opportunities requires us to um, do our personal discipline. Joe Frazier, you know, a great heavyweight fighter, look at what he says here. You can map out a fight plan or a life plan, but when the action starts, you're down to your reflexes. That's where your road work shows. If you cheated on that in the dark of the morning, you're getting found out now under the bright lights. There is no overnight success. You will not rise to the occasion if you have not first learned to fall to your knees. Champions. Great, another, another great boxing analogy. Let's look at this. Champions don't become champions in the ring. They are merely recognized there. You and I, if we're going to become leaders, we must first be faithful in the discipline before the success comes. So if you want to be a leader, you're at the beginning stage of this, 
Okay, if you want to be a leader, you've got to understand leadership is not something you're born with. It's not some innate ability. Now, you may have some skill sets that tend towards that. Okay, but it is, it is not anything that you're just magically gifted with. It is a byproduct of faithfulness. And it is a, it is a result of you learning from other leaders. You start developing as a leader. You start exercising some leadership. You start exerting influence, making an impact in the world around you and the people that you live with, people that you work with. Every leader hits this point. Leadership. Okay. Leaders must overcome their fear. Think about Joshua. You could back up if you want to and look in Joshua chapter, uh, excuse me, in Deuteronomy chapter um, 31, 32, when God's telling Moses, basically the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final statement to the nation of Israel. Okay. At the end of that book, Moses tells Joshua, be strong, be courageous. Just like the Lord was with me, he's going to be with you. God says to Moses, bring Joshua inside the tent of meeting so that I can commission him. Deuteronomy 32. Inside the tent of meeting, God speaks to Joshua. Like he's been speaking to Moses in the tent of meeting all these many years. He's now speaking directly to Joshua. He says, I am with you. You're going to lead these people into the land that I've promised to give them. Be strong. Be courageous. Joshua chapter 1. Okay. Verses 6. Verses 6 through 9. Let's look at that first. There we go. Okay. Be strong and courageous, for you call this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be, very, be strong and very courageous. He tells them then to obey the book of the law, meditate in it day and night. Okay. And then look how he fin finishes up this passage again, the next slide. Okay. Be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. I think Joshua had some fear. <laughs> Moses recognized it, and the Lord recognized it. This is a big task. He's getting ready to lead the people into the promised land, a people who for 40 years have been wandering around in the wilderness, who had to wander because their fathers were rebellious and disobedient and refused to believe the promises of God. It's a grumbling people. They grumble about the manna. They grumble about all these different things. They've said on more than one occasion during this time period, we'd have been better off staying enslaved in Egypt. This is the task now for Joshua. Can you feel the weight of it on him? Can you feel it? Yeah, he's been Moses' right-hand man, but now he is the man. God and Joshua and the nation. The task is squarely on his shoulders. What's the first fear he's got to overcome? It's the fear of not being up to the task. You know, that's the fear that most of us first have to deal with when God speaks to us about exerting influence, about stepping out and going somewhere for him. It's about being up to the task. I, I, I really can't do that, God. I can't do it because of this and because of this and because of this. And we give off this laundry list of reasons. If we're going to be leaders, we've got to overcome that fear. We've got to realize that God has called us and commissioned us okay, to exert influence for him and the various spheres of influence in our lives. Another fear that you see, okay, a couple of verses later here. Joshua goes to a couple of tribes and reminds them of a commitment they made. Because they, they told Moses, hey, we actually like this land on this side of the Jordan better. We want to stay right here. And Moses tells them, said, okay, you can do that, but here's what you've got to promise. You've got to commit to me now 
that when it's time to cross the Jordan, the men will go and fight with the rest of their brothers. Joshua chapter 1, 13 through 15, that's what he's doing here. He's reminding them, this is the promise you made. You made this promise on the other side. It's time to keep that promise. If you're going to be a leader, you've got to overcome your fear of requiring others to make a commitment. You've got to be willing to expect others to make difficult choices and to ask it of them. Okay? That includes your family, okay? includes whatever business you may work, includes somebody that you're discipling one-on-one. There will be times in their life where you're going to have to ask them, look, if you want to be serious about following God, you're going to stop doing this or start doing something else. If you want to be a leader, you've got to overcome your fear of requiring commitment or asking for commitment. What's the third thing? They're getting ready to cross the Jordan. And again, they're going to cross the Jordan on dry ground. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit. But let's think about this. They cross the Jordan. They're getting ready to go up and fight the people. Battle of Jericho, remember? Walls come tumbling down. What do they do? After they cross the Jordan, before they go into battle. Anybody remember this? This nation's been wandering around for 40 years. God says, you know what? Before you fight for me, you're going to have to obey my law. Your men have to be circumcised. None of this generation have been circumcised. Now, picture this, okay, from a military standpoint. Behind you, a flooded river. Okay, because the, once, once they cross the Jordan, it goes back to flood stage. All right? The river of Jordan is at flood stage at this time. So there's a flooded river behind you. You can't go back. There's a great walled city with an enemy army in front of you. And God says, circumcise your army. Now, think about that. I'm I'm at a point now where some of my friends are uh, going to see the doctor and uh, getting a little snips done, you know. And I've, I've had breakfast or lunch with some of these guys, okay, two or three days after the fact. They're not in any position to fight a battle. Okay? They're doing good to get out of the car and walk into the restaurant. Okay? Not exactly the greatest battle plan, is it? Get a flooded, get a flooded river behind you. Immobilize your army. Immobilize your fighting forces in front of a great big army. And then get this. Now, get your band out. March around the city seven times and blow the horns and shout. Not exactly what they teach at the War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, is it? If you're going to be a leader, you've got to overcome the fear of unconventional methods. Because if we're going to give honor and glory to God, it's going to have to be unconventional. It's going to have to be something beyond us. Okay? If it's success that we can generate it through our own ability and our own talents, there's no glory to God in that. Leadership involves moving people forward and overcoming the fear of, this doesn't make any sense. There's no way this can work out. And moving forward and moving through that anyway. The heart of what I want to leave you with today is this last bit. I want you to understand the end of leadership. The final result, if you will. Come through my slides here. I want us to look at two great coaches. Bill Walsh, Vince Lombardi. 
two of the greatest football minds that have probably ever existed. Lombardi, in eight seasons, won the title five times. That's why the Super Bowl trophy is called now the Lombardi Trophy. Tremendous leader. Bill Walsh, great leader of the San Francisco 49ers, won the Super Bowl on multiple occasions. But there's a difference between these two. Let's look at this difference. The genius, Bill Walsh, and that's his date of birth okay, and date of death. November 30th, 31 through July 30th, 2007. What's the difference? Look at this next slide. You see all these gentlemen here, Mike Holmgren, Dennis Green, Bruce Coslett, Sam Weish, uh, uh, Ray Rhodes, George Seifert. You know who they were? They were assistant coaches for Bill Walsh. Let's look at the next slide. Well, we will go to this one. That's fine. This, look at that. They're all these great guys. Sean Payton, Tony Dungy, Bill Belichick, Lovey Smith, John Gruden, Shanahan, Fossil. Okay, All great coaches who went on to have great success. Now let's go to the next slide. You see? There's the coaching tree. And this, this really isn't up to date for the last year or two. Okay, But that's the coaching tree. And you can't really read it from out there. But that's the first generation assistant coaches and then the second generation and then even the third generation and fourth generation of coaches. Coaching in the NFL as head coaches that come out of the Bill Walsh coaching tree. Think Bill Walsh had an impact beyond just coaching the 49ers? Difference? Vince Lombardi, you know what Vince Lombardi's coaching tree looks like? It's Vince Lombardi. Great coaches, both of them, great coaches. Okay. One, though, leaves a legacy pointing really back to himself. Here's the quotes of Vince Lombardi. Here's the, you know, the game plan of Vince Lombardi. Here's the zone blocking scheme from Vince Lombardi. Okay. The other one has a coaching tree that you know, Mike Tomlin you know, goes to Tony Dungy, to Dennis Green, to Bill Walsh. There's going to be somebody someday down the road that's going to think Mike Tomlin is a great coach, and here's what he taught, and it's really something he got fourth generation later from Bill Walsh. You know what? That's okay. Bill Walsh is okay with that, I bet. Because great leaders understand this. Great leaders leave a legacy. Great leaders leave a legacy. Okay? They do that okay, by this. They leave a legacy by investing in the lives of other people. Second Timothy 2.2. It's that principle again. What you've heard and learned from me, teach to faithful men who will then be able to pass it on to others. If you want to be a leader, leave a legacy. It's not enough just to achieve success by yourself. You need to leave a legacy. It's about investing and pouring your life into someone else so that they will have greater success than you've had. You know, this is where the world sometimes gets it all messed up. We think in our jobs, guys, we think in our, in our arenas of influence, we have to be indispensable. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you are, if you are indispensable where you are and you've been there more than three or four years, you're not just indispensable, you're a failure. Because the goal is to reproduce yourself. 
The goal is, is to take the people that you are leading and help them become greater and better than what you are currently. That's the, that's the heart of a leader. That's the heart of a mentor. If you're indispensable, then there's a problem. The trades get this, don't they? You don't just all of a sudden become a master plumber, do you? How do you, how do you start out? You start out being the gopher for a plumber. And you take some classes, sure, but most of your training is that hands-on training. And wow, you're an apprentice. And then as you work with that master plumber over time, okay, and you continue to learn side by side, okay, you take some more classes, but you do a lot of field work. You crawl under a lot of um, crawl spaces, okay? You dig out a lot of sewers. You get down and you get dirty and become a journeyman plumber. And you keep learning and you keep doing and you become a master plumber. Okay? It's not enough for you and I just to be master plumbers. Okay? It's not enough for you and I just to be master disciples. We are, I follow God so closely. Okay, well, that's great, but are you helping somebody else follow God just as closely? And how I'll know that you've succeeded at that is if they're actually helping somebody else follow God just as closely. Okay? Louis a guy poured into my life. Okay? Louis knows that I got this discipleship context. I, I got it because I invested in Tyler and I poured into Tyler Friday morning after Friday morning after Friday morning after Friday morning. And now Tyler's still in Cabot and I'm in Bentonville. But guess what? Tyler's pouring in to Brandon and other guys Friday morning and Tuesday at lunch and went over, passing it down one generation at a time. That's what leaders do who want to leave a legacy. You know, the problem is we all want to be the next Billy Graham, right? And we all think in those terms. That's what we think leadership really is. Occasionally you might find someone who thinks in terms of it's about being a person who mentors or disciples or leads to Christ, pours into the next Billy Graham. Rarely do we think in these terms of being the person who mentors or disciples, the person who mentors or disciples, the person who mentors or disciples, the next Billy Graham or Hudson Taylor or whoever. Okay. How do you leave a legacy by investing in others? How do you pull that off? Let's look at a quote from John Maxwell. Achievement comes to someone when he is able to do great things for himself. Success comes when he empowers followers to do great things with him. Significance comes when he develops leaders to do great things for him, but a legacy is created only when a person puts his organization in the position to do great things without him. Okay? It's that whole idea of not being indispensable to preparing the next generation. That's what Moses did with Joshua. That's what you and I are to do with disciples. How do we do that? Let's look at Numbers chapter 4. Okay? We'll put these verses on the screen. You can write them down. I'm going to paraphrase them for you, but Numbers chapter 4, they're getting ready to cross. Actually, they've crossed Jordan. And Joshua tells them to go back into the river, into the dry ground, while the Ark of the Covenant is still there, get 12 stones. Each tribe, get a stone. We're going to bring these stones out. We're going to make a memorial here. Okay? Let's look at this. That this may be a sign among you. Let's go ahead and go to the 
When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. If you want to be a leader, you have got to be a good steward of the God story of your life. God has done tremendous, amazing, great things in each of our lives. Has he not? I I hope you can say amen to that. I hope so. My question is this. Are you being a good steward of the God story of your life? Are you creating the memorials in your life? It's not because here's what I want you to understand. It's not just so that he didn't do this just to give you peace or to alleviate your stress in that time of turmoil in your life. Okay, it's not just for that. It's not just for. It's not just so that you would give him honor and glory. Okay, it is so that you would tell other people about what he's done, and all the people who hear this story would give praise and honor and glory to our God. Are you being a good steward of the God story of your life? I don't have enough time today to go into all this. As always, I'll kind of go over it. But this rock has a story. There's a story, but I, I pass on to my children and their grandchildren and so forth and so on about this rock, about God's provision in my life. A long time ago, when I first studied this passage, Michelle and I decided, you know what, we're going to start memorializing these milestones in our lives. And so we've got a box full of all kinds of odd and ends. Blood pressure cuffs, business cards, broken tail lights, all of them. A story about God's faithfulness in our lives. Be a good steward of the God story of your life. Most of us, okay, most of us could hardly tell anybody anything about the faith of our grandparents. We might be able to say, well, yeah, my, my grandpa was saved at such and such church over there by the creek. Okay, maybe you, know this, maybe you know his salvation story. Do you know five times in his life where God spoke to him and moved in his life? And maybe you do because maybe you got to spend time with him while he's alive. Let's go back to your great-great-grandfather. What can you tell me about his faith or your great-great-grandmother's faith? See, we, we don't do a good job of this, I'm afraid, people. God works in our lives. We maybe tell a few people orally, but we don't record it for all generations. We don't write it down. In this day and age, we don't videotape it. Imagine the power, okay? Imagine the impact that you could have on your great, great, great grandchildren to be able to read in your handwriting the way that God has blessed your life the way that God has worked and moved in your life. That's what a leader does. Okay? Leaders leave a legacy by investing in others and by being good stewards of the God story of their lives. We're going to have a time of response in just a second. Jared and the team is going to come back up and lead us in a, in a time of response. And as we do that, I want you to be thinking about these three action points, really. If you want to be a leader, find a mentor. Go to someone and say, hey, I would like to have you help me learn to walk with God. Find a mentor. I don't care how old you are. There's somebody who can help you learn to walk with God closer than what you are right now, no matter how close you walk with God. Second thing, though, be a mentor. Intentionally invest in the life of someone else. Intentionally pour into them and help them learn to walk with God. The third thing, be a good steward of the God story of your life. 
It's not meant just to save you from the trouble that you are in. It's meant to be passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. Moses told the nation of Israel, teach your children and your children's children. Pass it down. Pass it forward. Okay, That's what, you know, Orthodox Judaism, they do a good job of this. You know, they have the cedar, they have all those things. All right, They do a good job recounting the oral traditions. I'm afraid many of us, God works in our lives. We tell people around us immediately. We tell them when it happens. Seldom do we really intentionally go about telling our children and blessing our children with it. We may tell them around the dinner table. We may tell them around the campfire. We don't write it down. But we certainly don't think in terms of teaching them to pass it on to the next generation and the next generation. During this time of response, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I need to first follow the leader, Jesus Christ. Well, today is the day for that. Maybe you're thinking, I need to find a mentor. I need to find someone to mentor me. Maybe it's, I need to start being a mentor. Maybe it's, I need to write down these stories that God has worked in my life and intentionally start preparing to pass them on. There are some index cards up here if you feel led. I challenge you to come up, pick one up, and write down one, at least one person or one story in each of those categories. Somebody that you're going to go to to become a mentored by, start living life together. Maybe it's somebody that you're intentionally going to start pouring into. Or maybe it's, I'm going to make a commitment on this card right now. We'll start writing down the God story of my life. That's what leadership is about. Okay? Really, front end, back end, it's the same thing. Two sides of the same coin. Finding a mentor, being a mentor. Second Timothy 2.2, 2, passing it from one generation to the next. Would you respond today, however God's leading you? Be a good steward of the good story, or the God story of your life.